We're joined now on the Nordic Football Podcast uh, by a special guest, and I'm delighted to say it's a welcome return to Sean Constable, uh, who is a good friend of the podcast. He appeared on episode six. If you dig back into your archives, you'll have a... uh, There was an episode there, Wolf Must Stay, and uh, Sean was one of our first ever guests on the Nordic Football Podcast. Sean, superb to have you back on the show. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you very much. Always, always a pleasure to be uh, to be around you boys. No problem. <laughs> how's how's things? I mean, uh, yeah, the last time we spoke to you, I think you were you were at Sandefield at the time, um, and you know, yeah. just for a brief brief background to those who may not not be aware, Sean has now uh, since moved to Ostersunds and uh, has now recently left Ostersunds. So, yeah, Sean, you've been very busy in the last sort of year and a half that we uh, <laughs> we spoke to you. Yeah. You straddled both yeah. leagues, Norway and Sweden, so you're very on brand for the show. Um, yeah, how's everything going? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's okay. It's going well. It's uh, like you say, it was been a, the last year or so has been a bit full on because obviously we had uh, different coaches coming into Sandefjord after last Brahin and leaving. Uh, Magnus Powell came in, and then obviously that that kind of project didn't work out so well. And then um, Marty came in with the Spanish contingent. Uh, we've done really well, and then I've obviously had the opportunity to move to Austin with uh, Ian Birchnell, who uh, was obviously a, a friend of mine or a colleague as well. So, um, and I've been up there for that period of time, the end of last season and the beginning of this one, up to near enough halfway through. So, yeah, it's been uh, it's been good, interesting. I can tell you that. <laughs> I can imagine so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just just to recap, how did the move to to um, Sweden come about? Because obviously you left Sandefjord, I believe. Well, the club was relegated last season, weren't they? And I think midway through the season or so, you you you, you um, parted ways with them. So we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that slightly, and then sort of move into how the move to Ostersunds came about. Because I think it was around July uh, last year, yeah. wasn't it, that you moved to Sweden? Yeah, it was towards the end, towards the end of July. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, you know, I've been at the club for seven years in Sandefjord and starting out in the youth de- youth department and, and working my way up into the first team. And I still had a lot of, you know, as always with small clubs, you end up. I was coaching with the first team, of course, as an assistant coach there, and then also being involved with the youth development down, because I, I still like to, to go down and work with the younger players. I think that's really important. It's a good way to keep yourself grounded. And then I think the opportunity came for me to go to Austin, and I will say that Sanifield were great, because they could have been a bit... I still had time on my contract, so they could have dug the hills in and, and asked for some money, but they didn't. They uh, you know, they let me go because of the, uh, the work that I've done for them over the last seven years, you know, so... That was really good of them, you know. Mm. Yeah, that, that that is good. Um, it doesn't always happen like that, does it? But um, it's good to see that you no. you were allowed to leave. I mean, I think you joined Ostersunds, like I say, like you've mentioned there, July twenty eighteen, towards the end of the mm. month. And uh, Ostersunds won their first three games in the time that you were around, I believe. So, mm. fantastic start. Yeah. Um, how did you find the transition to, to Swedish football? Very interesting. Um, I feel. I feel that Swedish football is, has a different feel to it than Norwegian football. Definitely more uh, coach-driven, more tactical, technical in a game sense, I think. Um, of course, you've still got teams that are, maintain the Swedish tradition of being a little bit direct in the 4-4-2, but now the, the culture in, in Sweden has definitely changed. And without a shadow of a doubt, Graham Potter was a, a major part of that revolution. There's no doubt at all about that. Um, so going up there, my first game was against Elfsborg away, where we won two nil, um, and that was like a bit of an eye opener. I got to admit, meeting the lads for the first time, and um, yeah, um, just trying to get used to the level. Um, I think Ian gave me a really good 
piece of advice, which I will take with me wherever I end up now, um, is that he said, I want you to come in and don't don't think about anything that you want to change. Think about think about what you don't want to change. Think about what's good, and then can we adapt different different versions of that? Um, and told me to spend the first two weeks just sitting back and watching, watch the players, watch the training, watch the games, get on the video, watch more games, and then have a better kind of overall view about uh, about how how this is going to work. And, and that turned out to be really good advice, to be fair. What was your general knowledge like before you uh, had moved there? I mean, obviously, I know you know the leagues very well, but but just it, you know, you, you mentioned there that it was an eye opener, and you spent the first two weeks observing. What would you say uh, in that first two weeks you saw that was maybe that changed your opinion or was different to what you'd already knew? It didn't change. But yeah, I, I knew a little bit about Swedish league, but you know, you get obsessed by your own league that you're in. So it's always been more Elfenskin and, uh, and the old boss league because as, in a, as a Sandefjord coach, you go up and down on a regular basis. So, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, you, it's a di- kind of a different way of playing football. And, and also, without being rude, kind of going from a team like Sandefjord, who are quite strong in the old boss, a little bit weak in the elite ceiling, um, going to a team like Osterson, with when I was there, Sam and Goddard was still playing. So when you when you see some of the players, well, he was the last one of that group to disappear, I suppose. Mm. Um, uh, Hossam being there as well from from what happened, Curtis Edwards, uh, uh, Tom Peterson, just a little bit higher level. I just remember setting up a box for the first time. I did a little bit of coaching, and um, Brian Wake, one of the assistants, says, "I think that's a bit big." And I said, "Well, we'll see." And then after about five seconds, I realised it was too big <laughs> because they were just the two in the middle were just running. And then I had to stop it and make it smaller because you just see the level of the players that was higher, the technical ability and the speed of the ball and how they how they wanted to play was just a, it was a higher level, no doubt whatsoever. So then you have to adjust your coaching, and in many ways it's easier. In, 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 when you're dealing with highly professional and highly intelligent players, it is easier to coach. There's no doubt about that. The difference is that when you deal with those level of players is that they put you under more pressure as a coach, i.e. from a tactical and technical point of view, they will come in there and ask you some difficult questions sometimes. And the one thing I definitely found was when I went there is that they, the players, they don't accept you just because you, you've just been announced as assistant coach in, uh, in Osterson. They don't, uh, they don't care about that. They want, they want you to prove yourself, to show them that you're, that you're actually worthy to be there. And I, I find that's an interesting, uh, what do you call challenge? You know. How do they, um, how do they challenge you in that sense? You know, what, do you have any sort of examples of how that happens? Because obviously, I'm sure they're very welcoming in, the, in their general demeanour. But Absolutely. how do they, how do they challenge you? You know, how does it manifest yeah. itself? Yeah, they, they, they want to. When you're doing your sessions, they're like on you on every detail. You know, so if you if you're like a little bit off with your explanation, they will quickly say, "Sean, that doesn't work. We should be doing this one this way." <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe, but I think actually no, you shouldn't do it that way. You should do it like this because that's what I want you to do. And then they're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that sounds right." So <laughs> it's just it's just I think it's just a natural football thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's just I don't care what country you go to. I think they're all a little bit like that. Do you know what I mean? So, so sort of asking you a lot, I, a lot of questions and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and they just, you know, they just, sometimes they can, you know, they're, they're, they're watching you to make sure that you, if you're making any mistakes or any slip-ups and stuff like that, and it's, uh, 
I like it. It keeps you on your toes. It makes you a little bit like, okay, now I have to be, I have to be on. Because they, you know, we demand them to be on. So we have to be on. Mm. You can't just be demanding the players to be on if the coaches are not on, you know. Are we set, are we set up quickly? Are we, are we sharp in the transition from one session to the other? You know, these are, these are real important details in, the, in how you work. And the more you get into looking at a higher level of football that's very much what it's all about working with intensity you know yeah that's, definitely that's fascinating I mean yeah as you, as you mentioned they're working with Ian Birchnell and, and, and the club I think also had Dave Webb who, who was doing recruitment so there's a bit of an English as you said Brian Wake as well um, there's a bit of an English contingent there isn't there or British contingent um, how, was, how was the working environment at the club following on from, from Graham Potter as well is there definitely that English sense to it or you know was there for example yeah. did you pick up some Swedish that kind of thing how, what was the working environment like yeah, they're so uh, they're so used to having the English around. Of course, towards the end of seven years, Graham was was uh, speaking Swedish, but he still did all the coaching in English. That never changed. So interviews and stuff he would do in Swedish for the media and stuff, but all the coaching was still done as they kept it the same the same way, you know. Um, so that's that's that was an important factor on it. Mm. Yeah, there is a little bit. I mean, Brian Wake's sort of he he's been living there seven, eight, eight years in Sweden now and understands and speaks Swedish. And, you know, he was brought in really at the time to cover uh, Johannes. And of course, she was having a child, and uh, um, of course, Ian was like on his own because everybody left. Bjorn mm. went not long after Graham and Billy went, and yeah, and uh, Kyle, of course. So. Um, you know, I think people got to understand that up until the end, at the end of last season, on, in December, I think it was, it worked out that there was 19 people left the club. Wow! In terms of players and coaching staff, eight, 18 or 18 it was. So that's a massive, massive turnover for any club to deal with. Do you know? And and to be fair, even though I don't know how people see it, but when we came sixth place last year. After we sold Sam and Goddard, we lost four games on the bounce because we lost our talisman. I don't think people realised how unbelievably good that was. I don't, we, I don't think Ian's been given the credit that he deserves for that because the hardest job to take over in Swedish football was Austin from Graham Potter, without a shadow of doubt. And I think he did it really, really well, you know. So, um, yeah, from that side of it, of course, then obviously he knows coaches that come in that are English so uh, he brought me in myself as well so I've been thankful for that no, uh, absolutely yeah I think we mentioned it on one of the podcasts around the time when he did take over that it was almost like kind of um, a Ferguson Moyes type situation where you know a, a legendary manager sort yeah. of leaves and someone has to come in and pick it up and you know like you said yeah. maybe it has been not really um, fully appreciated how, how finishing sixth you know what an achievement that was um, what was your thoughts on the overall end of the season and you know your first sort of few months there um, you know tell us about that that, that period of time um, we we you know the you know you know the trouble with football is that you, all you need is a couple of injuries at the wrong time and mm. we had them you know, we brought in uh, Seaman Kroon, who came in. I remember the first game against Alsborough, we scored a fantastic goal uh, when we went on to win 2-0 there. And, and we lost him after, well, two games. Mm. And he's been injured ever since. And that's, that, that you know, it's, uh, 
Seaman is a good, uh, he's a very good football player. Do you know what I mean? Intelligent, understands space well. And we haven't had him at all. Um, and then we've we've had other players like Jarrell Sellers, you know, young player from England coming over, feeling his way in. And he came in in the summer himself, building him in. And as you saw towards the end of the season, he he grew and grew as a player. Um, Jamie Hopker injured, you know. So all of a sudden we were. If you look at some of the games when we played. I mean, North Shop, in a way, we, I think we only had three on the bench. I'm pretty sure. I think we had four, but I know one of them was injured, so, he, so we couldn't. He was just filling the space, do you know what I mean? So it didn't look as bad as it was. Mm. So to get through some of those games, you know, and, and to finish off like we did, we, we, you know, we, in terms of the coaching staff, were, were very proud of it. And I think, you know, there were other people that weren't proud of it. Um, <laughs> so... That's always the little bit of pressure that you have when you're involved in a, in a club. When you say that, do you mean do you mean the fans when you say that, or no? The fans, mate, the fans up there are unbelievable. Mm. They are class. They really are uh, unbelievable. But you know, um, there's always there's always some a little group that maybe maybe not so uh, are, you know only came sixth place. Probably don't understand how difficult that is. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, Swe- you know Swedish football like even like now this season. Some really strong teams there. Exactly. That, that's not an easy league to go and try and say you're going to go and win it. Of course, that's what you you set out to. That's of course the the road you go down without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but you do need that little bit of fortune, don't you? I'm not mm. going to say luck because I don't like that word. But fortune is definitely sure. something that you need um, when you're trying to push like that. What was your um? <clears throat> what were the aims? Because obviously you finished sixth. I think like like you say, I think that was a good. A good end to the season, to be honest. And you know, when you look at some of the players that you lost, you know, just looking at it, you know, you've lost the likes of Ken Semmer, Dennis Wigman, yeah. um, you know, as yeah. you say, Saman. You know, there's, there's a lot of players that you've you've, you've kind of um, had to filter out of the squad and, and replace. Um, yeah, how did absolutely. you look at it going into this season? You know, the, the season ends, you finish sixth. What's you know, what was the agenda then, and what were the expectations maybe coming into this season? You know. Absolutely, we wanted to, to fight like hell for top three, you know, we really did. Um, we look, look towards the top five, of course, when we start every season, you want to win the league, but obviously we're not stupid. We know that that, that, is, that is becomes really, really difficult. Um, you know, um, I'm not very good with names, but uh, the striker from Malmo, Strandberg, that mm-hmm. went to Udebro, mm-hmm. you know, towards the end, we were, we were obviously looking... You know, could we bring him in? And Malmo, Malmo were very well. No, we're not letting him go on loan to you because <laughs> we see you as a team that might be challenging us. Oh wow! And that was like, okay, that was that was a bit of a kick in the teeth for us, but also it was a bit of kudos to think, wow, do they actually think that we're at that level? So that was that was really interesting, you know. Yeah. Um, and I and I and we 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 felt like we felt like even to, even up to now. If we were, if we could get our best eleven on the pitch on a more regular basis, we would, without a doubt, be be, uh, be a lot higher in the table than we are right now, definitely. But we haven't been able to do that, and that's again we go back to having that little bit of fortune. Have been unfortunate with some of our some of our injuries early in the season, and we haven't really been able to field our best eleven. I don't think, to be honest. Yeah, and it's, it's been a bit of an issue, I think, in that sense, because obviously at the moment um, the summer break is on in, in Sweden and you've gone into it and kind of uh, 
mid-table-ish position, sort of 10th in the league, just mid lower mid-table. Um, three games won, um, out of 12, five draws, four defeats. Um, let's look at the, you know, the summer, as you just mentioned there. You had, well, winter, or should, should I say, the, the window. Um, the recruitment. There was a lot of English players who sort of came in and, and players from maybe um, English leagues like Palace, for example, Juno Baptiste. Uh, Jarrell Sellers is another one. Ravel Morrison is the, is the, is the major name. Um, how much input did you personally maybe have in, into recruitment? Uh, is it very much a co- collegiate thing at the club or um, is it done by one person in particular? And tell us a bit about the players that you brought in and just, you know, the, the thinking behind some of the players that came in and, and you know, we'll, we'll touch on a couple of them in particular in a minute, but just in general. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, obviously, Dave, David Webb is like integral part of that as the sports uh, sports director, uh, along with Ian, along with Martin, who's the CEO in the, at the club, um, and of course the board. Um, it's, 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 it's a group uh, dynamics but the board don't come in and, and, and make any decisions over players and stuff it's, it's down to Ian mm. it's down to Ian Ian always has the say on who who uh, the yes or no's simple as that um, it's all, all of our job on the coaching staff as well today is uh, to put names forward um, um, Brian Wake has a, has a really good in-depth idea of, uh, of players in Sweden um, so he, he knows the Swedish market which uh, we need to be stronger at there's no doubt about that so um, of course then we look to bring in players uh, Francis has come in um, who we brought in who, who is without a shadow of a doubt you know he is a, he's a goal scorer He's got a real. He's a, he's that little. Um, he's like Jeffries, you know that the Ferguson called not Ferguson Wenger called uh, called him a, a fox in the box when he came <laughs> yeah. to Arsenal. Um, but um, the thing about Francis is they never played men's football. Let's be honest. He's played yeah. youth football in England, and even though the level's high there, it has taken him taken him some time to adjust. I think he will have an impact in the second half of the season. Mm. I think he can be. He can develop into being a good substitute to build towards next season to becoming a starting player, you know. He's building and working really hard with his link play. But I tell you what, when he's in the box, he knows how to score goals. He's got a real knack. He's got a real knack of that. And it, the weird thing is, and you, you know this yourself, he does the hard things easy to score goals. And then some of the easy things, he does difficult things. <laughs> he does it a little bit the opposite way around. But he will learn. He wants to learn. He's hungry. Um... And he's not lightning quick, but he's, he's if I use the word sharp, he's, he's quite good at finding space and getting away from people over over those few yards. Yeah. I think his top speed is not electric speed, but he's not bad. Um, yeah, of course. It's interesting. And, um, I mean, just just before we before we carry on with some of the other players there, I just wanted to ask you that, uh, because you, you raise a really good point, which I, I wonder sometimes about sort of under-23s football in, in England. Um, yeah. You know, clearly it's a high level. You have a lot of top players there on, on a lot of money that kind of thing but I've often watched a lot of youth 23 games that kind of thing and you do wonder about the competitiveness of it and I've spoken to a lot of scouts um, at games and things like that who they're questionable about the level of it and, and the value of it sometimes for players um, yeah. what are your thoughts because like, you just mentioned it and it's a quite an interesting topic I think the transition I, to, a, to a major yeah, league yeah I would um, I would uh, very much like um, the, the idea that they have here in Norway actually um, and I think Pep, say Pep Guardiola mentioned it. I think they do the same in uh, they do the same in Germany and in Spain, where you know, like Barca two playing in a competitive league, yeah. a really difficult league, 
And the same was like, you know, when I was in when I was in Sandefjord, I was the, the, the head coach of the third division team. Now, you, you might laugh about that, but still, 15, 16-year-old players who were developing are playing against men. Mm. And even though that level is not really hard, the physicality and the way of dealing with the ball under pressure with playing against men, mm. that, I think, it brings players on quicker. My, my little thing about 23s football is that Sometimes you watch it and it is very nice and tactical, and we pop the ball about and we play. There's not there's not many like. What does it matter if you lose? Not yeah. really, does it? Whereas like now now in this in uh, a friend of mine who's coaching here in Norway in the second division, uh, they're looking to go up into the and uh, in the third division side they're looking to go up into the second division. Volding at two mm. are like really working hard to get back into the second division. Yeah. They got relegated last year because. They have a high level of youth, international youth players in the club at the moment. Yeah. So they want to be in that second division so that they're putting their their younger players in extremely difficult situations because that second division in Norway is actually quite quite strong because they changed it into two leagues. Yeah. From four, they dropped it into two to make it stronger competitively. And that's a, I think that's a little bit of an issue that they need to try and sort out in England. Hence the fact that they still use the, the loan system so that for the best players need to go out on loan and play, exactly, play football yeah. against men. Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, I, I, apart from obviously Scandinavian football, I have quite a bit of a passion for non-league football and I, I go to a lot of games and in the past I've sort of talked to people about you know players going from semi-professional game, for example, rather than the 23s route because you're playing against men, as you've mentioned there. All right, it's not as good quality te- technically, but you're mm. in a physical challenge rather than maybe playing against kind yeah. of... Um, you know, a very methodical yeah. game at 23's level, no tackles, do you know what I mean? No, yeah. if you win or draw, it's yeah. not a massive deal, there's 20, 20 people there, yeah. maybe, do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So it's an interesting one. So you'd be in favour of a B-team structure, essentially, you're saying? Oh, yeah, if they could bring it in, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely, because, you know, um, uh, you know, I, I, I've been, like I said, in the, in, the, in, the, in the B-team, coaching the B-team, and, and, you know, you know that, listen, hey, we, we need to win this game today, mm. guys, because if not, we're down in the relegation and that puts a different pressure on a player. Definitely. That puts a, and then you understand, okay, this player here, he struggles to deal with that pressure. So that's not good. I mean, how can we now help him to, to learn about that? If you don't, you don't have that kind of pressure on players, you, never really, you can never really truly say, are they ready to be thrown in at the first team level? Because I don't think you can. And that's a problem. It's a little bit of a problem in Austin because they don't have a B team there, you see, because of the... The, the, the amount of travelling it takes to be in Osterson, to be a B team is, is phenomenal yeah. for the expense <laughs> side of it. So imagine. they have a little bit of um, a little bit of a what would you call and I don't know if Sunsfall Sun still have a, a, the 23 team that goes and travels everywhere so it's it, it puts pressure on your finances there's no doubt about that. Yeah exactly. No that. Yeah. And so- but I do um, I am in favour of that B team play but in England it will never happen because there's just too many clubs you know there's yeah. too much football so it'll always be the development of the youth and then it'll be lo- it'll be the loan system look That's at Wilson that we've got Wilson got sent to Derby didn't he to yeah. play for, uh, under Frank Lampard and you can see he's come back and now he'll have an opportunity at Liverpool on the pre-season to show has he got has he taken the next step and if not they'll sell him that's, that's the way it works as simple as that yeah exactly and they'll probably make good money out of him because he's got a good level of experience I mean just let's let's, let's go back to the players that you mentioned there um, who came in because we have to talk about one of them uh, Ravel Morrison who obviously um, there's a bit of a situation that's gone public in the last few days with the, the contract situation but, but before we touch on that and, and that, that situation let's just talk about the player himself because uh, I remember 
remember clearly saying on the, the first podcast of this season, the preview show to Steve, that getting him was a massive coup. And I, I was super excited to see him in the league. And I said he could be the best player in the league. Um, yeah. It's not quite worked out that way yet. Um, but you've obviously no. coached him at close quarters. Just tell us about the signing and the player himself as well. Well, I doubt I coached him. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was more the other way around. But uh, <laughs> no, he's. Well, I, you know, I. I think you might. I don't know if you remember. We had a guy here in Sandyfield called um, uh, Grossmuller, uh, Carlos Grossmuller, that Uruguay that came over at thirty-four, whatever. And I was like. When he played, I was like, wow, mm. he, he was amazing. And then I've seen Lavelle Morrison and gone, wow, that's a different level. <laughs> it's just, he, you know, the first training session he came in uh, in Marbella, it was just, we did a box and some of the stuff he was doing with the ball, it was ridiculous. I think he sent about three players for different taxis <laughs> in, one, <laughs> in one moment. It was absolutely scary. Um, his manipulation of the ball and, and also it's how he uses his body, how he looks like he's going one way and then goes the opposite. He's just so good at disguising his movements and uh, even you know, even though not fully fit, still got a little step that he can get away from people and very, very strong. Mm. If you if you watch the games, okay, maybe he wasn't ripping it up like we all wanted, but I tell you what, you couldn't get the ball off him often. He's strong, nuanced. You could see he was a bit of a played street football when he was younger knew exactly how to use his body and get get into positions he was he was quite phenomenal really mm. absolutely i mean and he's yeah cool. <laughs> he's um he's a player who i think it's fair to say really and even i think it's fair to comment about it really because he he's gone public about it uh, recently um via his twitter account about his, his his reputation and kind of maybe just being unfairly portrayed at times um i think the daily mail ran a story about him and and it was quite negative in its, yeah. in its angle and he was a bit upset about that from his twitter account yeah. um and yeah. i think the club cleared it up quite quickly uh, just yeah. tell us about the, the the person himself because he's, he seems to be a little bit misunderstood at times as well i feel and um you know what, what's he like as a player to, to to be around that kind of thing Really humble, really humble, really nice guy, polite, you know. Um, he's, a, he, you know, he, he's a winner of. He wants to win football games. Simple as that. So you know, there's there's always that that competitiveness. So sometimes in training, that could boil up a little bit. Because but because he, he, he's a street kid, you know what I mean. He wants to win. That's important to him. Um, but honestly, yeah, a really good guy. I mean, you'd obviously know about when we we we. we, we pushed um, or took four of the youth players into the first team squad to do this slightly different way of thinking um, about how to uh, develop young players in, in the Austin area and and you know the guy that's been where he's been so so good to the kids talking to them all the time trying to help them encouraging them in training sessions when they were involved so from that side of it you know he, I think he is mis, uh, misportrayed because he's like okay um, he had he had some difficult times when he was younger, but that's, that's he just got dragged into the wrong crowd, coming from a difficult background. Not the only player that's ever happened to, mm -hmm. and that stigma is, is, is stuck with him. And actually, he's, he is not like that. You speak to a lot of people around Austin. If you go into the town, they'll say, "Oh, what a nice guy he was." You know what I mean? You know, mm -hmm. and uh, you know he, um, he, uh, he 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 showed himself in that respect uh, really, really well, um, and he wanted to do well for the team um, and without a shadow of a doubt if he hadn't picked up the injury you could see in the game against Elsborg and the game against Escortuna he 
was starting to have a big influence on the game. You know, he was starting. We played him a little bit deeper, got him on the ball more, let him have his distribution, and and he, he started to make us tick. He really did. And that injury just come at the worst time for him, and obviously for us. Yeah, that. it's a bit of a shame. <clears throat> I think. Um, I mean, you mentioned there is is his ability on the ball and that kind of thing as well. Um, would you say he's one of the best players you've worked with? I really hope he gets back from uh, injury and kind of um, can recover his form to be fair. Oh yeah, me too, me too. And, and and you know, even though there's been a lot of stuff in the papers flying around, I I know that uh, that it's that it's, uh, it's not completely doors not completely closed in Osterson. So uh, I don't know if that's that's where that's going to go. No one really does at the moment. But it's not like there's no there's no nobody's left on bad terms. There's nothing bad happened about anything. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just uh, you know to see what's going to happen. Basically, simple as that. I think I think unfortunately in the media world we live in at times there's always a, a, a lurch to go negative rather than positive, isn't there? And I think some of the stories that came out it just seemed to me, but you know, it's good. Yeah. It's good sometimes that you have Twitter in a way, isn't it? To be able to he came out straight away and put it put it right. I think yeah. that that, that yeah. maybe players didn't have that 20 years ago, which is maybe a positive side. No. Of it, but, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's it's about understanding how to use social media. Of course, there's mm. been other instances where some players have not used social media so cleverly. So, For sure, anyway, yeah. I won't <laughs> sure. talk about that. <laughs> but moving on uh, swiftly. Yeah. <laughs> um, who do you think will win a title? Just uh, going widening things out a little bit. Who do you think will win the league? Well, um, I remember we we had a conversation on the on the, on the message. Uh, at the beginning of the season, you remember we when did, we did, yeah. you did predictions, <laughs> and I said Malmo. And, you did, you did. And I, I know, you know, they, they to me, they're just like a machine. <laughs> they're just like, they remind me a little bit of like Rosenborg a few years ago, a little mm. bit. I think Rosenborg played a little bit more fluently, but they see Rosenborg changed their style of play a little bit to play to, to play in Europe. Mm. So maybe some people are saying, oh, they were a little bit boring, but you could see. Um, at the time, Ingebrigtsen changed the way they wanted to play to be stronger in Europe, and I think that's what Malmo were doing. I think Malmo were saying, "Okay, yeah, maybe we're not the prettiest team to watch, but we are. We're, we're bloody strong and effective, and that's what they are." You know, um, when they played against uh, what was the little game they played with that Elfsborg, I think it was. You know, went one 0 down. You know, player got sent off for Elfsborg, and they win the game two one. Yeah, and and you're like, you know. That's just they grind the game, they grind it out. You know, they get yeah, those late goals. It's a little bit Man United back in the old days, old Fergie time and all that. You know, it's it's now Uwe Rossler time, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, they're ominous. And I, I think also if you look at their statistics, um, you know, we've been looking at the data and with Y Scout, and they, they, they're kind of yeah. top of their XG charts for kind of goals. You know. Um, 
predicted goals, predicted goals against as well. Their the numbers are really strong as well. It's not just kind of the fact yeah. they look so solid. They, they are producing yeah. in both both yeah. ends of the pitch as well, aren't and they? Yeah, and it's, and especially especially when they get Rosenborg on the pitch, mm. he 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 is he's a, he's the natural leader that you want in your pack. You know, he's yeah. the guy that that runs the dressing room retrospectively and says, you know, hey, listen, this is how we. This is what we do out on the pitch, and he, he kind of is that he's that fulcrum of uh, of um, uh, of Uve if you want on the pitch. And yeah. So he he he's very and he's also he's very clever. He knows when it's the right time to press, and when he goes the trigger, you see the rest of the team react from him. They they they, they follow his pressure, and if he drops off, they know yeah okay now we need. So he's very he's, he's very influential like that, and. Uh, and he and he scores goals. He's still scoring goals at his age, you know. So yeah, uh, they're, 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 they are strong. But um, <clears throat> there's a few teams that are chasing them. Jewel Garden, Jewel Garden are doing really well at the moment. I, quite, I, I think they're a, they're a very good team. Um, quite good again. Their forward line's sharp. Yeah. Very sharp. Um, we we found that out to our own cost uh, not so long ago <laughs> down in uh, in Stockholm. But um, I think they can be a little bit. Vulnerable at the back sometimes, I think at times, but uh, but they're coming quite hard. North Shopping are starting to step up again, um, so uh, they had a bad start, as you know. So I think uh, it'd be interesting to see how, how it pans itself out, actually. But yeah, I, sure. I think Malmo are the team, Malmo are the team to uh, to try and beat. Anybody gets over them this year, they end up being champions for me. For sure, for sure. One thing I wanted to ask you about actually, as we we touched on stats there. I mean, earlier in the season, I, I don't know if you. Um, how much attention clubs in general pay, pay to statistical kind of um, data and things. Osterson's XG numbers were kind of looking a little bit a little bit weak at the beginning of the season. And uh, I wondered if, if teams, clubs, do they look at that? Do they pay attention to it? Um, we kind of flagged yeah. it, but you you know you're, you were getting results at that point, I think. Um, yeah. Does it something that, you ever look at and worry that, about? Or? Yeah. Not really. That's our, that's our point. Uh, yeah, yes and no. Hmm. I'm gonna be honest with you. Yes, of course we look at them, and sometimes we don't always agree. I don't always agree with how those numbers fit mm. because the trouble with those numbers at times is that they don't take in consideration circumstances. Yeah. Or you know of of, of what certain situations happen. Um, you know what I mean. So you can say that okay against Falkenberg we <laughs> we had an interesting game against them, um, and at the time their 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 numbers were were higher than ours. But they were losing games and we yeah. weren't. So the thing was, they 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 were yes, they looked like they can score goals because some. I mean, when we when we did the analysing of them, when the ball went into the box, they had five five players charging in there. Yeah. So of course, if there's five players charging in, that means they leave a lot of space somewhere else. So consequently, you get in a situation where yeah, okay, they do. They come up and score two good. They score two goals, and but. You know, then they leave opportunities to be to be uh, counted or spaces found and then and transitions, and they end up losing games. And that's that's kind of how they've continued. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So sometimes you've got to be careful with statistics, haven't you? I think they're they're relevant, but you can't get too bogged down in the, in the too much data. Yeah, no. I think it's that. Uh, cool. cool. Sorry. No, it's funny that you say that because um, we, me and Steve, actually had a <clears throat> quite a detailed chat about that game, uh, Osterson's Falkenberg, and there was one incident yeah. in it where I think I think Islamovic was put through. I, I think and he, he I think he scored, but it was offside. Yeah. Um, yeah. And XG yeah. gave it, I think they gave it a zero, but yeah. it was a marginal fifty-fifty decision. 
and the keeper had come out of his line and, and it was like an open goal. We had a, ma- a long discussion about that game, just about XG in general and kind of how, how do you actually decide what is... Because if the referee gives that as a, you know, onside, then it's, it's still a chance, isn't it? You can't sort of say it's a zero chance. So on the XG, you've got nothing, but actually you'd, you'd, you'd carve the team open. So do you get credit for yeah. that or not? And yeah, it was. We had a long yeah. talk talk about that game, funnily enough. Um, so yeah, it's yeah. funny that you should say that. Yeah, because that's why, you know, <clears throat> it's it's like possession, isn't it? People go on about possession. I, I, I you know, I've met players that are like, oh yeah, my my pass completion rate is 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 um, is eighty five, uh, ninety five, and I want it to be ninety seven. <laughs> and you're like, okay, but then must if you're doing little passes to each other and you're not hurting teams, then I don't understand what the point is about it. Mm. You've got to be. It's more about the penetration, and I know the Germans, they produce this thing called stacking, whereas if I make a pass sideways to a player, I get a point for that, you know? But if I make a pass through the lines into the striker's feet, I could get seven points for that because I'm breaking lines, and I'm taking how many players I take out of the pitch, uh, out of the game with that one pass, you know? So that that concept is kind of that's kind of high because uh, I, I like the idea of that because if, if my if my stacking is really high, but maybe my pass completion rate is is eighty five, but I've actually been really I've been successful because I've made difficult passes in difficult parts of the pitch. Yeah. So then that that score ends up being quite in quite high. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. So then it's a different way of looking at statistics. You know. Mm, yeah. No. I think that's, that is fascinating actually. Um, uh, yeah, so moving on, just a couple of questions now because it's, it's been really good to talk to you. Uh, I don't want to take too, yeah. up too much of your time. Obviously, you've you've no. departed Austin's recently, um, yes. and yes, the club put out a statement, obviously, and you wrote an open letter to the fans as well about about your your departure. Yeah. Um, obviously, the sad, sad passing of your father. Um, just tell us about how how it ended for you, and and maybe you know what the outlook is for you next, and you know what's 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 upcoming and that kind of thing. Just tell us about the yeah um, yeah. I mean, you know, um, you know, it's uh, it's been. Been a little bit difficult, uh, you know. My my uh, just before the season started, the 17th of, of March actually, my uh, my father passed away, who I was extremely close with. Uh, we have a very close family, and um, you know, uh, <clears throat> it was very sudden, um, and and that obviously took a lot of the shock. And the club were the club were amazing with me. They they let me have my time off. Um, they didn't put me under any pressure. I came back for the ARK game um, away, uh, then I went back to Austin for a few days, then back <clears throat> to England for obviously the funeral and you know to tie things up with the family and mm. stuff. And obviously I moved away. My wife lives in uh, in Sandefjord in Norway, and my my stepkids as well. And um, then I'm up there, and I'm kind of <clears throat> on my own a little bit. And the work is great, the club fantastic, fans class, love it. Really enjoyed my time. I just, um, I just, I don't know. I found uh, I wasn't. I think when you're at that level, and it's and it is a high. People, people might listen to this in England and don't understand the level of Swedish football. Um, but it is a very high level. Uh, the tactical work is involved. It is very coach-driven over in uh, in, uh, in in Scandinavia. Mm. I think in general. Um, in England, I think it's obviously it's coach-driven, but also a lot player-driven. Right. Back in the UK, um, and I feel like that I actually wasn't giving uh, uh, Ian as much as I should be giving, um, and you know that I think that's not fair for him. Mm. It's not fair for the club. So ultimately, it was uh, sat down with uh, the people um, at the club, and uh, and Ian, of course, Ian didn't want me to leave, and was really 
kind of uh, sorry about everything, but also he understands exactly, you know, where where I come from, and he knows my family. He's uh, he's been to when I got married. He was he was at the at the wedding. He's met my parents quite a few times, and uh, so <clears throat> he he knows uh, how difficult that's been for me mm. to deal with. So I just need some time just to step away from uh, from football just a little bit. Yeah. Obviously, I'm going to watch a lot of games and go and travel around and see people and stuff, and um, that won't be a problem. I'll obviously pop up to Austin again as well and see a game, and then I'm just at the moment waiting to see maybe some other opportunity comes along that's closer to home. So, yeah. you know, uh, in Norway, um, but I'm in no major rush right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's very brave of you to come out and say that, and obviously, really challenging circumstances for you. It seems like you've dealt with it, you know, very professionally. Um, so, thank you for obviously being honest with it. Um, <clears throat> you say you're open to a sort of move, maybe within Norway uh, coming up, or are you at the moment yeah. playing it by ear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, you know, um, I'm working on my handicap, so <laughs> see if I can get that down a little bit lower. So, uh, um, didn't know they play and, golf in Norway. Uh, Oh yeah, yeah, always, definitely, always, definitely. That's the one thing I always carry with me: golf sets up, no matter what. Fair um, enough. But uh, no, um, you know, I'm, I'm waiting to see. I'm, I don't, I don't really know what, what, what will come up now at the mm. moment. I mean, it's, it's in the middle of the season, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rush at anything. I'm not gonna just jump at the first thing that comes along. Um, yeah, it's best to wait. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not Jurgen Klopp or Pep Guardiola. <laughs> There you go. There might be a bit of a Nordic pod exclusive there. Sean Constable, the manager, maybe coming, <laughs> coming soon. Uh, we, we'd look forward to that with with, with better breath. To be fair, that'd be great. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, final few questions, really. I just wanted to uh, firstly ask you, like you just mentioned there about the tactical side. What would you say you've learned from the experience in Ostersunds? Maybe how, how have you developed? What, what kind of things would you say you'd take with you into into your coaching? Is there anything you could maybe highlight? And then the other question I wanted to ask was um, maybe players from the sidelines that stood out for you. You mentioned Rosenborg there. Um, was there any other players that kind of you, you looked at the touchline and, and stood out to you, or even teams maybe tactical setups that kind of thing? Just from your time in Sweden. the same you know a lot, a lot of coaches uh, are like that now in the modern modern way aren't they you know 
Um, so then from that, from my side of it, then it then it becomes a slightly different thing. Then I have to be okay. Right now, I'm not leading the session, but I'm the assist, I'm the support person, and now I have to be more on the sideline, watching. What's our theme for today? What are we working on? You know, what, what what's our structure? So maybe we want to play against a team where they play five at the back, and we need to switch the play more often. You know what I mean? To try to shift them over because it's not easy when you play against a five when they drop down uh, or a three four three that, that they drop into a back five do you know what I mean sure. so <clears throat> from that side of it I would I would spend maybe more time working with the midfielders body shape receiving the ball little more details about when was the right time to switch play do we switch play through the lines or do we switch direct depending on is that the right time to do it so I'm there like kind of almost backing up all the time with Ian and looking at the details and extra stuff maybe there's one training session Ian says to me Sean I want you to just look what happens with the with our back three mm. sometimes I don't think that we when the ball gets shifted over to the right wing I think we're a bit wide so it will be, it will be more about details and uh, that's been something that I've, that I've learned and I found really interesting, uh, or not so much learned, but developed, you know. Um, so that's, that's, yeah, that's been, uh, that's been uh, good for me. And, and also working much more on, uh, on the computer with, with Scout, working yeah. much more individually with players, the central midfielders particularly, I had a lot of, a lot of work with them because I played a lot of my career as, as a central midfielder. So is that sort of player analysis? Is, sorry to interrupt. Is that a player analysis type yes. thing where you look at video yes. and you, you analyze, yes. pick up key key things people can improve on that kind of thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Going through and what what we what we started to do is like to do we used to do um, uh, individual meetings and also unit meetings. Right. So I would take all the midfielders with me. Um, and also uh, the obviously the, the, the lady coach that's uh, that's Osterson as well as uh, Johanna, and she came she came in and we we would look with um, with the midfielders and we would just sometimes I would just pick ten clips sometimes we'd use video that we have in, in the training sessions and sometimes we'd take it out of Y Scout on some of uh, the games and sometimes I would pick a clip for two minutes and just play it and then go back to the beginning start it and say what do you think mm. and the players the players have the answers. The players have the answers, you know. So um, we end up having having really good discussions. Yeah, but I, I I would say maybe I don't think you should go that far over. And they're like, yeah, but I did because I moved that player. And you're like, okay, wow, that's interesting. And then you have discussions, and then the players feel like they're now part of the development and, and decision making process rather than just being told what to do. Right. I think that becomes really important for me. So those are the areas you've developed in, really, as a, as a head coach. That's that's really fascinating. Um, yeah, as head coach material, sorry. What the final question, as I, as I mentioned there, yeah. What what players maybe did you maybe not know about, or that you saw from the touchline and thought, oh, he's a he's a decent player, and and also was there anything tactical that you saw that was maybe you know a manager or whatever that made you made you think particularly in game that kind of thing. Yeah, the you know one that what I found well when you're playing against like you look at Hammerby, you know what I mean. You look at um, some of the players there at front for them. I think it's, is it Jordan that plays at front for Hammerby? I'm not very yeah. good on terrible with yeah, names. Yeah, yeah, Nicholas Jordan. <laughs> and he's 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 a real you know people love to hate him, don't they? Yeah, you know? they do. Uh, he, he's he's a, he's a he can be a, can be a nasty little bugger, but I tell you what, he's a good player. He's a really good player, and, and the Icelandic striker up front for them as well. He scores a lot of goals, and he's yeah. been around as an experience, you know. Yeah, Townsend. Um, but I, I found um, I, I think a really interesting team I like to watch is uh, is North Shopping. I love the way they, even though they had a bad start, I, uh, I I do like the way that they 
the way they set up themselves in the three four three tactically. You know, I think uh, the coach there, the young coach there, is a good. He's uh, he's a sharp guy. You know, I, I, I know he's well respected in the game. <clears throat> a lot of people were um, talk really highly of him. Seems like a really nice guy every time I've met him. And you know the way that they the way that they play is is interesting. They 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 use like midfielders as wing backs. Yeah. They don't use like normal wing backs. They have midfielders like uh, like Goody, the, the Icelandic midfielder, and hate now he's a central midfielder because yeah. he can work with him in, in softball. But he's been playing out as a left wing back because of the way that they play. You know, they're very possession based. Um, so uh, they're quite a fascinating team, I think. And another team that's that's come to the fore right now is is Gothenburg. You know. They've uh, they've they've done really well. Uh, the coach mm-hmm. moved, obviously, the assistant coach moved from Sundsvall to uh, to Gothenburg, and they pretty pretty much pretty much got the same team there. Only brought in a couple of extra players. Obviously, the young lad they've got there that's now I think he's agreed with Ghent, has he? Yeah, Benjamin Negan. Yeah, he's off to Ghent. Yeah, yeah. So, um, be interesting to see how that move is because I will say. You know, traditionally, you find that some of the Swedish players that go over to Belgium find it difficult in that league because it's a tough, they're a tough league over there. Definitely, you know? yeah, yeah. The training mentality is very, very hard over there. Actually, more than what people give it credit for. You know, so it would be interesting to see that. But he's done, he's done really well. He's done fantastic, and and I think the team itself, uh, the way that they play, I think they've 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 started to really. Shock some people, um, and they'll be interesting to see, you know, where they end up at the end of the season, and uh, and also you can never take away uh, what uh, AIK do. <laughs> they're, they're strong. Uh, their head coach is a real character, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I've met him a few times. He's a really interesting guy because they 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 stick to kind of you know traditional way of playing in Swedish football, but again they're a little bit like Malmo, a little bit machine-like, very strong. Very difficult to break down, you know. Yeah, yeah. Very difficult. You managed to get a nil nil draw against them in the opening game of the season as well, which was a, a solid result, really, we wasn't did. it? But, uh, yeah. We did. We played well, and to be honest with you, mate, we had an absolute stone wall penalty <laughs> after nine and a half. Well, no, I'm about twelve, thirteen minutes on um, on uh, Aish Hossam Aish. Definitely a penalty, no doubt at all. Um, when you see the replay, it's even more. More uh, wow, you know. And if we'd have scored that, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened, you know. Yeah. It, it, you know, goals goals change games, but uh, you know, I think maybe Hossam went down a little bit to, with the theatrics, and I think the referee was like, "You're not having that one." So there <laughs> yeah. you go. That's what happens when you play away at the big boys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, Sean, it's been really, really yeah. good um, talking to you. Just to say quickly, um, the, the North Shipping Manager there, Jens Gustafsson, um, getting a bit of praise. Yes. But uh, yes. I'm glad you mentioned yeah, them because they were my pre-season prediction to win the league, but it's, it's not quite worked yeah. out that way. Yeah, um, but, yeah, uh, but you know, yeah, but that, that sometimes it happens, and you know what I mean. It's off the back of, off the back of, um, you know, when you when you come back in and it's getting settled down again, and it's, it shows you, doesn't it? It shows you that you need to have a good start in the season. For sure. You need to get your first five, six games need to be decent because you need to get that momentum. So, yeah. there you go. Sean, been fantastic talking to you. Great to have you on the show. Pleasure. As always, you're Pleasure. always welcome on the Nordic Football Podcast. A true true friend of the pod. It's great to hear from you. Um, and maybe the next time we talk, you'll be the head coach of a, a club somewhere. So, uh, who knows? Who knows? It might be harder to get hold of you then at that point. You know what I mean? Don't, don't forget us, though. Don't forget us. Yeah, I won't. I won't. I promise you. Strange if 
things have happened. Exactly, yeah. So we wish you the best. Uh, Get a good rest and um, hopefully see you back soon then. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Bye-bye.